Welcome to the Freedom Chronicles. Definitely an antisocial type. Only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. We got a loudspeaker here, and when we go into battle, we play music very loud. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Freedom Chronicles. I'm your host, Mike Ambassiani. Thank you for joining us. We are, of course, broadcasting from the Brian Chapman State Farm bunker right here in southwest Florida. And like a good neighbor, Brian Chapman State Farm is there for all of the insurance needs that you have for your very own bunker. Give us office a call at 941-625-9998 or visit the office at 2040 Tamiami Trail in Port Charlotte. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. It's going to be a longer episode, but only if you are on the Locals community. We'll still be doing the regular hour-long show right here, whether you're watching on Rumble, CTA, YouTube, Spotify, any of that. But we will have an exclusive extra hour of the show available on Locals, and you can watch the full two-hour show right now by going to Locals. Use the uh, link in the description, or if you're watching this on Rumble, there's a little red button that says Join. You can join, and for $5 a month, you can become a part of the Freedom Chronicles local community, and you can use promo code FREEDOMCOW to get one month free. Now, it is a huge show today because we have a fantastic guest. He was elected mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island in 2002. He inherited a city that was collapsing and he turned it around. Running for Senate, uh, he warned of the coming debt crisis at the time and, of course, got attacked by the same usual establishment Republicans. Now, he is running for president of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Steve Laffey. Steve, how great are to be you? With you guys. Yeah, so great. Great show last week. I've listened and uh, happy to be on with you today. Excellent. Thank you for coming on. Ken, how are you, sir? Good, good. Always Thanks. good to see you. So, Steve, you were mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island. Um, give us the history of that real quick. What what got you into that and what was the situation that you encountered being mayor there? Yeah. Well, my background is really completely financial from humble beginnings in, in Cranston. So I'm from Cranston, Rhode Island. I went to the public schools there. We can get into the schools that should be closed later. But but I went off to uh, Bowdoin College, Harvard Business School, one of the you know first in my family to go to college kind of stuff. And I was at Harvard Business School at 22. I went down to Morgan Keegan, uh, Payne Weber for a stop there with, uh, you know, you see Art Cashin still on TV. He sat behind me for a while uh, on CNBC. But I went down to, uh, as a trader, went down and worked with Alan Morgan, the largest investment banking firm domiciled totally in the South, a publicly traded company. I was there nine years. I was the president, the chief operating officer. I ran the venture capital operations. We sold the firm under my direction for uh, $785 million, a publicly traded firm. And I was going to go start a hedge fund. But I had a calling to go back to Cranston, which I didn't want to do. But I did. And I went back to Cranston and I hung out with a bunch of my grade school buddies. And the city of Cranston soon was missing $10 million. Now, I know it sounds like, a, but, but I knew it was going to be way worse than that because I went over to City Hall and asked for an audit. Remember, this is what I do, right? And uh, they didn't have one for three years. And I said, man, that's that's not possible. This is not a hamlet. This is the second largest city in Rhode Island. But so the city went bankrupt and I became the mayor uh, of the, the lowest bond rating in the United States city, a city that was about to miss payroll in 30 days. And that nine members of the city council, all Democrats, Democratic mayor. I'm a now I'm an evangelical Christian conservative running for mayor in Rhode Island, right? And I'm running with a message that's good. Which we by itself, yes. And remember, I'm standing on chairs saying, you're not going to like anything I'm going to do. But I didn't come home to live in Detroit. That's literally what I said. You're not going to like this, but I fix these problems. And so I, so the 90 Democratic City Council, Democratic mayor, they pay $450,000 as their last act of defiance to buy a piece of land that's full of pollution that they think they're going to build a police station on. This, it's so out of control that I could go on for the whole show about stuff and have people say, what? No? Is this true? I mean, we had crossing guards, we had crossing guards that were paid $129 an hour before inflation. This is now 2002. Unionized crossing guards, their contract from the International Brotherhood said not only could they not be fired, 
but they couldn't be moved from the spot they were standing on. Now, hmm. schools had closed. The crossing guard's still standing there. No kids are coming. They're just standing there with no kids. So, so I fired them. We had a four-year lawsuit about that. It was all over the national news. Uh, we won, of course, the case, but we fixed the city rapidly. And the bond rating went up eight notches. Meanwhile, I took the top finance course at the University of Rhode Island. And that's the story of Cranston. The story of Cranston is that the pension assets, which was scheduled to go to zero, worse than Social Security, zero. They had $9 million left scheduling to take all the money. This is what all the Democrats would do. They do it everywhere. Take all the money out of the pension fund to go to zero. Uh, the city was borrowing when I became mayor that day, tax equivalent rates of 15%. So I come from a heavily Irish Italian city. I'm Irish, but I'd walk around sometimes campaigning with a baseball bat. And I would say to people when I, not threateningly, I would say, so this is what happens when you lose five straight pro football game betting things with your bookie. A man named Vinny shows up with a baseball bat. <laughs> people would be like, okay, okay, I get it, Mr. Laffey, I get it. So that's how you kind of explain to people gutturally how bad it was. So that's my very short version of being mayor. Um, it was very successful. By the way, as I say to people, if I keel over today, at least the mayor's after me haven't destroyed it yet where I have to go back. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's not doing as well, but it was doing well when I left. And I spent four years. I love being the mayor. I love being in a strong mayor's charter, which is usually a bad thing. But able to turn things around, it was a good thing. And, and we did it rapidly. And that's what had to happen. And that's, by the way, in the macrocosm, what's happening today in America. That's what's happening. Right. Well, and that so and that's where I want to lead to, because you talk about and it just shows you turned a an area that was all Democrat, which I talked to a friend of mine today who had gone into Providence, Rhode Island, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> talking about all the corruption and the mafia running everything in, in the yeah. areas around there, you know you were able to turn that around when everything was against you there. So why you're, you're focusing a lot on social security right now for the country. And yeah. why do you, why are you running now? Yeah, I'm running now, as I say in my 32nd video at stevelaffey.com, and I won't pull a Ron Paul on you guys and repeat it 400 times, right? Back in the day, you remember him saying 800 numbers? Right, you know, yeah. anyway. He was a, he was a great, exactly. So. We'll, we'll say it five times, but um, <laughs> I'm running now. It's it's not just that I've been a mayor, and that's okay. That's great. But my background is financial. So from, from, from Harvard Business School to financial, I've met with success in the ability to put the right people at, in the right place at the right time. That's what the country needs. It also needs someone to directly confront problems. And the real reason I'm running at the age of 61 is that the country refuses to directly confront its problems. And so I have a whole different thing at my website. When we say Social Security, I have a complete plan to take $61 trillion out of the unfunded liabilities. That's So $61 trillion is the difference between what we're collecting in taxes today, not what Bernie Sanders wants to collect. He wants to collect a lot more, right? And that still won't work. And what we're actually, when people are retiring, what we're actually getting. So the difference is twice basically the national debt. I'm also looking at our tax system, which is full of fraud, abuse. We're never going to get this much money out of a stone that we need. So we need a new tax system. I became friends with Herman Cain. The 999 plan I've adopted. It's a well-respected plan. It's simple, slightly progressive, a bit of a wealth tax for the liberals listening. You know, when you buy a $100 million boat, we're going to take $9 million bucks. So and Herman became a friend of mine after the, his election. He taught me what, what happened. I also have this thing in, in, in schools that's radically different from what people are saying. So we can get into it, but if all the schools were not woke, it'd be 3% better. But we just got the new numbers for people studying history in eighth grade and civics in eighth grade. And 13% of our eighth graders in public schools are proficient. So we're not going to be able to do any more band-aids. The beginning of the cycle of death in America is the public schools. So my stance on China. So listen, I'm a Phil. I've been, you will find people who don't like me. So you can find a lot of people back in Rhode Island who don't like, don't like. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ken, Ken has tons. There's, there's a list. <laughs> yeah. But you won't find the article that says I was wrong about what I did. It's mm -hmm. I talk too fast. I have too many ideas. 
Uh, it could be a lot of different. I don't like the way he does things. Uh, but by hook or by crook, I get things done. And that's the difference between me and the people who are really running or who have run. And I think back to Cranston, the time is right for at least my ability to change the dialogue. You let me into one of these debates and the whole shooting match changes in a secular way, tipping the tables at the temple. Because when I turn to people and say, this is what I'm saying, why are you saying we don't touch it? Right. Yeah. So everything so changes. Your see uh, the your American finance. Your backgrounds yeah. in finance. Uh, it, you're great with economics, and it's been my experience watching the GOP over the last several decades that they refuse during a campaign to talk about national economics. It's like they pretend they dance around it, but they refuse to do it. Yeah, you have and, DeSantis who focuses on the culture war. You have yeah, Trump that talks and that's about what how good doing the economy this. The GOP was. Seems to be going yeah. solely. They're solely focusing on the social issues, and they're refusing to do anything uh, about the economy. And that's the yeah. establishment side of it. You know, I and know so, you're different on this. Is that why you think, uh, to a certain degree, that they're trying to shut you out? Is because you're talking yeah. about a subject that they refuse to yeah. talk about? Yes, I think the reason that sometimes you're not seeing me yet on some of these channels is is just that. It's not that people don't say he's not qualified. And by the way, there's people who are more qualified than me to be president. They're just not running. And But, but the inability to go to the American people with anything other than, oh, I, I want to get this slice of people who are really mad about X, so they'll send me money, rather than what's the best thing for our grandchildren? What's the best thing for our kids? How do we operate? It's, there's one line from my movie, Fixing America, that always sticks with me. A guy named Jeff is walking down the street. In my movie, Fixing America, Fixing America movie, it's on Amazon. It played around. I was the keynote speaker down in Texas for the Texas leadership. It vote to reduce debt in 2014. I traveled the country and gave speeches in Iowa. So it's not like I haven't done this stuff. So you know, it's not like I just appeared from nowhere to do this. I've been speaking about it. But Jeff says... We just want them to do the freaking job we put them in there to do. And that sums it all up. That guy wants to go watch his kids play baseball. That guy doesn't want to deal with what's going on. And as long as it's fair, I'll give you this. As long as people thought it was fair, they would suck it up, put their fists in like a like at the end of a basketball timeout and say, let's go. They would take a little bit less in Social Security if they're 50, as long as everybody else was, Right. But what we have today is almost a kleptocracy where and we can get into it where JP Morgan is really running the show, right? Where big corporations right. out, of, out, of, out, of, out of China are really running the show. The biggest lobbyist uh, in, in Washington is Pfizer. Who came up with the vaccine that wasn't a vaccine? Everybody, Pfizer. Yeah. So this is what really goes on. And that's what, if, if I get in, that all stops. Because the truth is, you actually want someone to be president who really doesn't want to be president as bad. For like, I mean, I mean, I love to be the president, but if someone else did this, I have 20 acres out here and six beautiful children that I hang out with yeah. all day long. And by the grace of God, I, I'm not the richest guy in the world. But if I don't want to do something, I don't have to do it. That's what I wanted to be when I was poor growing up. I want to be rich enough, not the richest man. I want to be able to say, I'm not doing that. Not that I did anything illegal <laughs> along the way. I'm not saying that. But that was sort of my motivation. And so that I could do different things, make my family different than the one I grew up in. And a lot of people think this way. So mm -hmm. many times yeah, people yeah. say, you seem normal. Well, I'm not really that normal. But <laughs> yeah, well, but you're a politician. You, yeah. you seem normal, though. <laughs> yeah. Ian Coulter wrote an article about me that everybody, if you really want to read something humorous, it's called, in 2006, I ran against Lincoln Chafee. This is a whole thing I wrote a book about. So I'm an author, too, Penguin Books. Uh, primary Mistake is the book. It's about the Republican Party's failures in 06. But she wrote that, you know, the, 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 she shot the wrong Lincoln, Lincoln Chafee, Abraham Lincoln, right? And uh, <laughs> but she, she refers to me as like this normal, you know, like, how is he in politics? He's a normal guy. He yeah. made his own money. He did this. He did that. He's really here to help people. I'm paraphrasing. But I'm here to help you. If you're, if you're a young person listening to this show, You've got to get up and say, yeah, you know what? That's the only plan that makes sure I get Social Security. That's the only plan. The other plans, we won't touch it. The plans where we just raise taxes on everybody with a little donut hole, about 36% more. 
what's happening to our younger people, especially, is they're becoming so disconnected because they feel there's no way to help. And that gets to our campaign finance laws. It gets to what they read. It gets to what they're getting hit with. And I'm trying to change that. Oh, it and goes back to the civics. It goes back to the civics yeah. education as well, you know, 13 yeah. percent. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. They don't so these, understand. These kids history. are growing up. They're they're frustrated. They don't understand what's going yeah. on. They haven't been yeah. taught what's going on and how they can get involved to fix it. And I can see where it just kind of drives them away. It does, and that's what I'm trying to. That's why I'm I'm talking to young people all the time, and and I just got to well, be able to break things that people listen to it. Right, and that's one of the things with this show. Uh, I mean, we've interviewed people, and we constantly have the saying, get loud locally. I mean, the, it, it, people feel mm -hmm. like they're one person. They can't do anything. So, like, for you, what is something that you tell young people or just people in their community? What can local people in the community really be involved with and see what's going on and that can help you down the line, too? Well, it, it's so true. Listen, I've only been the mayor, right? But locally... That's what I mean. Imagine the city being so badly run that 1300 people tried to show up for a building twice that held 800 people. That's how that's how out of control it was. Now, today, most city council meetings have six people. People don't go to meetings. I encourage people and my kids, for example, when we moved to Fort Collins, Colorado, for the first five or six months, we went to every single city council meeting. And I said to them, my older ones, now, you know, you know, the city, you know, what they're doing, when they're going to pave roads. The local involvement is, is critical for everybody to be involved. And everybody can be involved. You, you may look at this right now, and I get it. I've got 50 bucks to put into a campaign. I can hopefully send them to Steve Laffey. But, but i got 50 bucks, and George Soros has got 60 million for one race. And that's when people become disconnected. The Koch brothers have 70 million for one race. And so the, so the average person's got 50 bucks. Now, if they knew that the campaign finance limits were 5000 5, per year for anything you wanted, the 50 bucks would be like, oh, I can make a difference. Well, it's not only that. You're George Soros' $60 million not only go to these PACs that support the big elections, but they're going to these oh, smaller elections yeah. that truly are the local elections, and they're being district influenced. Attorneys. Yeah, the district attorneys, the these prosecutors, these attorney yeah. generals. Uh, yeah, all these local people that have more power than you really realize. Yes, it's, it's disgraceful, but it's happening. So the good thing is that money ma matters less. You need enough money, but not the most money for campaigns. And what people listening can do is they can get together and find it. By the way, it's a lot of fun. I mean, a local race is a lot of fun. There's no way around it. It's more fun than a national race. You, you get a little office, you get people together, you get someone to run for school committee, three people to run for school committee, so you can change the school committee, right? Not just one, whatever districts are, you do it at the city council level, and you go out and knock on doors. And that's the most effective thing. Now, my campaign, I can't really knock on all the doors. But in Cranston, Rhode Island, I knocked on 30,000 doors twice in a campaign. I it never stopped. Walk through the business community. Pass out as something as simple as just a business card with a simple website. Always have three things you're going to do, I tell people. Uh, I have little secrets, too, that, that, that for the local people but uh, that work. But but the, but the looking at people and telling people the truth, I want to make a difference. So mm -hmm. in, sure. I'll tell you one example, in my local race for mayor, my opponent, first of all, the mayor couldn't run. I disgraced him so badly at one meeting before I announced he never ran. I embarrassed him so badly. <laughs> nice. I won't tell you the whole story, but you know time. he didn't run. He, never, he was never heard from again. The mayor of Princeton has never been heard from again because of one meeting where I effectively became the mayor because people didn't know, who, didn't know who I was. But I knew about pension nice. obligation bonds and I knew about debt. And, and so they were like, whoa. And, and then... A guy ran, Aaron Garabini, not a bad person, but a very wealthy guy. And he, what they wanted to prey upon was the fact that I hadn't been home in 20 years, like anybody cared. So they ran commercials, TV commercials that showed me, not me, they showed my Laffy bumper sticker with a van pulling up in front of a, what would be the first thing you would do if you hadn't lived in Cranston in 20 years? Well, Steve Laffy thought he'd run for Mayor Cranston. Then it would go right to him and he'd be like dancing around, having a good time. And people knocking on doors would say, Mr. Lappy, why does your commercial play right in front of his commercial every time? And I said, no, that's his commercial. And people would be like, what's so, bad? <laughs> what's so bad about you coming home to help us out? I mean, it was well known that by then I was a Harvard Business School grad that I'd gone to Cranston Public yeah. Schools. So what you'll find in these races is that people overreach. 
who have been in office a long time. So when you take it on someone who's been around a long time, like this guy had been, um, he didn't quite get it all the way to the end. What was happening? Because he was in a different wavelength. And so for local people, look for someone who's been in office a long time who doesn't meet with people. Look for the Republican National Committee man in your state who hasn't been to a yeah. meeting or the, the city chairperson who hasn't gone to a meeting and is running for re-election. Take them out if, if they're not doing a good job. Because because people get very resentful of the people who take their office for granted at a local level, much more so than a national level, because they figure they can't get yes. back to see them every day. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, true. Makes sense. True. What what are you seeing? I mean, being the financial guy and we can talk about Social Security, but uh, as far as this whole debt ceiling, you know, how how are you going to rein in this ever increasing government spending here? Yeah, well, the Republicans uh, have come up with a plan. First of all, the debt ceiling. I, I, I've lived I've not, I was born in 1962, so I guess I lived through about 75 of them, of which 60 I remember. Right. So. In the end, everybody caves, but sometimes things get done. Sometimes there are agreements that get done. The important thing for people to realize today is that we are far beyond putting Band-Aid on this. Oh, picture, yeah. the, oh, picture the picture of the dike with a man trying to put his finger in each hole, but picture it's more like this. A fire hose just went off, and it's aimed at your mouth, and there's no way you can drink it all. It's very different than Reagan trying to negotiate, or even Clinton doing stuff that had to do with Newt Gingrich and getting our deficits down because they had to work together. None of that is going to happen. So if indeed the Republican program, which is not to go too much into detail, that they put together with a very small vote, would that actually reduce the growth of spending? But here's the thing, folks. We're not going to go from they're going to take it from roughly $2 trillion deficits to $1.6 trillion deficits every year for 10 years. By the way, never a recession. Do you ever notice this, by the way? Go to the CBO number. People, just so everybody's listening, all the estimates never include a recession. There's never going to be one again in all the numbers. They all just go like this. We're always, we're always right on the edge. We're always right on the edge of a recession. Right, exactly. So, so they're all wrong. All these numbers they come up with are wrong. But the Republican program is better than the Democratic program. It just doesn't solve a lot of our problems. So it is going to be hurtful, I think, for Democrats. But it's important to remember another thing, that all the wild estimations about what would happen if indeed June 1st comes and we don't make payroll, I don't know. It's all it's never happened, so I don't see it happening because everybody caves, whether it's Ted Cruz back in the day, eight years ago, I've got votes over here, but I don't have really have the votes. I'm really sorry. <laughs> These things have gone on forever. So mm -hmm. the debt ceiling, it would be just far better if everybody got in a room and fixed one giant program and just fixed it. And then the markets, the people with money would say, well, for example, if they adopted my social security thing at stevelaffey.com, right, which doesn't come from me, it comes from Larry Kotlikoff, the world leading expert. I'm not an inventor. I told you last week, I, think, I, I don't invent things. I adopt best practices and then ram them through best I can. That's really what I do. That's what I'm good at. And that's what I would do in Congress. I mean, that's what I would do as president. I would take that and I would go around on a train and I would set, tell people with graphs and every, I have videos of me doing this stuff with graphs and, you know, very simple things, big letters. And people would finally say, yeah, make them do that. Make them do that because I want my 20 year old granddaughter or daughter to actually get social security. And in fact, the 20 year old in my program would get five times more, 10 times more. Who knows how much more? The person 53 could get less. It just is. Just the way it is. People over 62 will get whatever we promised them. So it'd be better to focus on that. But what will happen is that we'll just keep this thing going until something happens, and then we'll just move on. But what I want to get across very clearly is that the beginning of the bank failures is vastly different even from 2008 when we had bank failure, bank problems, bank disaster. That was a credit crisis. This is different. This is now a deposit, a fleeing crisis, and an interest rate problem, which I've spoken about. And everybody has to focus on this. Because if we don't right now, we are going to have, by the end of this year or a year, within a year from now, a much worse situation in 2008. Much worse. And what usually these things bring more government control, which they did with yeah. 2008. So the debt ceiling, 
I wish I could, you know, I wish they would just get in a room and solve one giant pro pro problem. And now, and then there's a lot of things, little things that people could do, by the way. One would be look at what other countries have done. In Switzerland, about 20 years ago, their debt to total capita, debt per capita, was about, was about uh, uh, debt to GDP was 24%. And they were nervous then. This is Switzerland. We're at 108% or something. So they're, they're, they're at 24%, so they passed the law. But the government simply couldn't grow faster than uh, the rate of money coming in. And over a business cycle, they had to balance the budget at least once. Boop. Today, all the stuff is happening in France. In France, they're rioting now and they're acting like, well, it's because they, they raised the retirement age for two years. Yeah. But it's been all the other government nonsense, the lockdowns, all these restrictions that the government has been pushing and pushing on yes. everybody. And then the government says, oh, by the way, now you have to wait two more years till you can retire. And then everybody loses their mind. Uh, yeah. So you don't, you don't want exactly those right. to. The French are much more, more likely to riot than the Swiss. But if you go back to Switzerland today, they're still at 24 percent. Well, if we were at 24 percent, oh, my gosh, we wouldn't have any issues with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 24 because I did a little uh, video for Twitter the other day. But just picture someone running and you can run pretty fast with no debt. Pick up a wheelbarrow heavy and, and you start going a little slower with one wheel. And then pick up a 50 pound weight and start to run. You're not going very fast. All of this debt. Is destroyed our growth prospects and this is the real problem too much debt either individual city state or the federal government does a number of things one if you personally have too much debt you're lying there in bed you can't think straight like you just have too much debt yeah. same thing with what's happening today you can ignore it for a long period of time if you're the world's reserve currency but now it's it's actually hitting the rails and we're going to have lots and lots of problems that can't be solved. All of this is like the cycle of debt that I talk about. It's the Federal Reserve. They've created giant problems because we've allowed them to, the congressmen have. It's because the school systems, people get out, don't understand, what the, never heard of the Federal Reserve. Imagine getting out of high school, people don't even know what the Federal Reserve is. It's true. It's like, figure, forget about who Susan B. Anthony was. They don't know, right? They don't know the Federal yeah. Reserve, what they do. They never heard of M2. Yeah, I, I learned all this in high school, by the way. My mm -hmm. my high school economics teacher became my campaign manager for mayor later on. Yeah. So so um, I learned all this stuff. This is really where it hits the road now. And that's, again, why I'm running, to fix it or to force other people to agree, Laffey's right, we're going to have to do something different. So, again, at stevelaffey.com, I have a host of problems, pro programs, one is specifically about the Fed. More important than the debt ceiling. The Federal Reserve has this, it's really one mandate, but if you read it carefully, it's two mandates. It branches out into keeping unemployment at full, keeping employment full, and keeping inflation low. So if you watch what they did over the last eight years, they started to target 2%, not zero. Why? We really don't know. There's no really good example of why. The dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? By the way, at 2% inflation, you lose half the value of your money in, in 35 years. It's what we call the power of 70. Or the thumb. Just divide by the inflation rate. You find how much you lose your, your money by. That's still not a good thing. Then they can't do both. So why are they allowed to do both? They are allowed to do both because when they meet with the United States Senate, the senators don't have to answer serious questions. They can say very serious things and look at each other and say, what do you think about that? You can have someone get mad or not mad, but they don't call for the resignations like I have. If they only were the mandate, which I would like to change, only to keep inflation at zero, what would happen? Well, here's what would happen. There'd be a meeting of the Fed and they'd say, hey, kept that money supply growing at about 2%, economy growing at 2%, inflation's running around zero. How are you guys doing? Yeah. And then the U.S. senators would fall off the back of their chairs because they'd have to pass legislation because they wouldn't be able to grow the government. They It would stop. And then we'd have a couple of really bad years, and then we'd be back to having a real great country. Mm -hmm. But they won't do it because 
it, it, it's like 1920, uh, 1929. You go back to 1920, 1919, 1920, government stayed the hell out of the way and, and the market and everything returned to normal. And we had the roaring 20s. Yeah. 29 comes around government gets heavily involved in it yeah. and you wind up having to go to war to get out of the depression yeah which certainly seems uh, to be the path that we're going down as well with ukraine isn't it well not so well not so much Ukraine, but the, the thing about inflating your way out of it is is really the truth so when you borrow not i use different numbers but what we borrow from the public is over is about 25 trillion so once I said in the movie Fixing America, once we passed 20 trillion, we'd never go back. And that's the truth mm -hmm. because we borrowed, they kept the rates so low that the interest on the debt and if we're collecting four and a half trillion, let's say I'm rough on the numbers over the years. It was less than that back three years ago, but our interest costs were 228 billion at the lowest for a year. And, you, and you, if you're a ratio analysis guy, you're like, oh, hmm, that looks okay. It doesn't look so bad. Whoa, what's happening now? Rates go up. And all of a sudden, you're looking out into the future and saying, if we went back to normal, which is 6%, and we had $25 trillion, where does the $1.3, $1.4 trillion of interest expense per year come from? The answer is it doesn't. We don't have an extra trillion. We're wasting a trillion in healthcare every year of the GDP. We wasted how much money with the PPP program and unemployment, all the stuff that's been stolen, about $500 billion a year. We have this growing underground economy so that our tax system won't collect the money anymore. Why we need a 999 program. Again, it all works together. And now we're at the point where the Fed can't. And that's why they didn't raise rate. I mean, we're being very aggressive. We're going from raising rates from zero when they never should have been zero. We're going up to 5% when inflation inflation's running at eight or seven, or maybe today, six and a half. But they haven't gotten the Fed, the short-term rates above the inflation rate yet. They're going to do this as we're talking, whatever they're going to do, they still won't. So now they're in the rock in the hard place where expectations, even by the Fed, for what inflation will be at the end of this year is higher at 3.8% than it was four months ago when they thought it would be 3.2% of December this year. Not that any of that's correct. You can watch Jerome Powell say in June of 2021 that he thinks inflation in December of 2021 will run at 3.5% roughly. I watched the video of him saying this. And then go back and see what it ran at, seven and a half. Yeah. Which brings you to the fact that, that these people are so removed from even doing a good job. And this is where people in the Senate, in my party, 18 of them voted to reappoint. 18 U.S. Yeah. Senators and Republicans thought it was a good idea to put Jerome Powell back in. He's not even an economist. Yeah. I've yeah. I'm more of a, as you can guess, I know more than he does. I mean, I'm not joking. Yeah. I, I don't know no, the most. No, you do. Yeah, <laughs> but he's, he's well, a lawyer. You know, at a certain point, this starts. It, it starts. And this is something Mike and I have talked about before. It, it appears that they're doing this deliberately. That this isn't. That's they're not the trying to fix anything. They're trying to deliberately crash the economy. What they are deliberately doing is enriching really rich people that they hang around with in the Beltway. Yeah. yeah. Was the leader of J.P. Morgan? Again, we can talk about banks, but. Why do you think he's the best buyer for First Republic Bank? What other bank right. has 800 people who can plow through the numbers overnight? Who made the most loans? To the PP, who made the most loans to the PPP program? Who was set up first to get the loans out to their buddies? J.P. Morgan. Instead of their stock going to zero and Jamie Dimon being worth zero in 2008, he's a billionaire. Someone look at the graph of the stock price. It doesn't look like Apple. It goes up. It doesn't look like anybody would be a billionaire running the company over years. It doesn't look like that, but he is. So deliberately is the real key word. And I'm the only one who's going to tell you, except for Ken, that deliberately is the right word. Because I say this very simply to people. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I know this. I seemingly the only person willing to tell you that they did this deliberately. They know. For example, not to be too much of a monetarist, but we talk about monetary policy. The amount of money chasing too few goods is what causes inflation, not Ukraine. Ukraine, mm. 
whatever. We can, let's get to Ukraine in a second. It was a waste so of money. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a waste of money. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, we could say it's a waste. We could say it's not a waste, but it's not inflationary by itself because something else would have to go down. Right. But it doesn't go down. That's the whole problem with the Fed. It doesn't go down. So deliberately, they know that they can't get rates down to zero again. Inflation would really head north and people would go crazy. And they know they can't get interest rates back to normal because we can't pay the interest on the debt. So they're going to they know they're going to inflate their way out. So their friends and the rich people know it, too. It's just that if if half the people literally have 500 bucks. What are they going to do about it? They can't they can't they can't they couldn't have bought a lot of stocks because they didn't have a lot of money in a way. They're not hoarding silver and gold from 2000 when it hit bottom. I mean, it's just not what the normal person does. They're going to work. They got two jobs. They're like, what's going on? That's what's really going. That's what's the real problem is. So they're not keeping up with this. They just know that they went to the grocery store last week and things are out of control still. But it's yeah. not out of control. It's not. And, and, and that's the other thing about the middle class. The middle class today, you know, 65 to $150,000, depending on where you live, maybe 200 in New York City. These people have been hollowed out. And what they do know is that inflation ran just for just for their their own energy course was four grand extra last year and the year before. Well, it's never coming back. It went somewhere. And so that's the deliberate part that we've got to I've got to with this campaign point out. And it's time for people to say to the members of the Fed. I mean, let's let's put let's be very honest about it. if you're going to really give them 2% as inflation, let's give them that's, that. Don't, but if it's at eight one day for a year, that's off by a factor of four. That's three standard deviations outside normal of a normal performance. So if we do a performance review, we sit down with them, which I did with thousands of, you know, a couple thousand at Morgan Keegan, a couple thousand, roughly speaking, in uh, in Cranston, we would say, you're fired. That's mm-hmm. It's so far out. That's like a guy yeah. in a trading. Yeah. You're so, so wrong. <laughs> you could be yeah. wrong. Yeah, but this right. was so wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if inflation rate at three and a half percent for a couple of years, and they were like, we, and they said, we're really sorry, we did it, we got it wrong. Not blaming somebody else like they do, blaming Ukraine, blaming this, blaming that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they just said we got it wrong, all right, maybe some of you could stay. <laughs> you know? But, but <laughs> you're all on they, they never do. Yeah. No, never, they gotta, never I want to move on here real quick. I want to because yeah. we're running out of time for the regular show. I want to get to the segment before we uh, we're, we're, we have, we'll have a whole nother hour to dive into, especially that word deliberate. I want to talk about more yeah. of things that is happening deliberately. But let's go to our Patriot and Trader of the Week. Uh, Steve, do you have a Patriot of the Week? You know, I didn't know what to put down for the Patriot. I do have uh, uh, the, who really is the Patriot of the Week in this country. It's hard to find one. Um, it is hard yeah. to find one. I, I I tell you, I did write down one because I saw that the, the, the most recent um, uh, Congressional Medal of Honor winner happened last month. Um, oh, wow. And it, uh, it's Paris Davis is, is the newest member. And in Vietnam, in two days, I got it right here. He led his special forces troops into battle, outgunned, outnumbered. And, you know, we, we sometimes forget about these people. Not just our troops, but the Medal of Honor winners. I have a whole book because I met one of these guys. He helped me with a fundraiser. And I have this whole book over here somewhere where I page through it, and it just it just blows you away. So let's give it to him. Yeah. Fantastic. Very nice. Yep. Ken, who is your Patriot? Patriot of the Week. This is going to sound weird, but it would have to be the Democrat Party. <gasps> Why is that? <laughs> because the Democrat Party, bar none, they are the best gun salesmen That's in true. the world. That is true. Uh, uh, look what they did. Inslee in Washington uh, put an assault weapons ban up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 400% increase in Washington, <laughs> in the whole state of Washington. And it's, it's, it's like that in, in every state where uh, recent uh, legislations have infringed upon Second Amendment rights. Of course, here in Florida, Governor DeSantis uh, made us the 26th state constitutional carry. Uh, for a constitutional carry. And I believe it was South Carolina and North Carolina is is uh, f- fixing to sign uh, uh, as the 27th state. So uh, every time they go after gun rights in blue states, it always drives up gun sales. So yep. Democrats yep. are the best gun salesmen in the world. Yes, very good. Uh, my, 
my Patriot uh, kind of goes along with a question for you as well, uh, Steve. My, uh, my Patriot goes out to Michael Yan, and uh, he's currently down in the Darien Gap in Panama, just talking about all of the now 15,000 Haitians, thousands and thousands of Chinese fighting age men uh, that are coming through the Darien Gap, heading toward the border of America and Mexico. And they're waiting to invade, essentially, when Title 42 ends on May 11th. We're going to get and, swamped. Yeah, and you're seeing this. Michael Yan is is the, basically doing what real journalism is, yeah. is going down there and he's talking about it. And he the says... The Darien uh, Gap is just one of several. Mm -hmm. And the thousands of uh, illegal aliens on the march to America that he sees through there, multiply that by, you know, 10 or 15 different gaps like right. that, paths that the uh, illegals travel to get to the country. And it's not only the the security threat of why are these Chinese uh, illegal aliens why. coming through. I know we know why, but it's, it's called a rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing these invaders bringing lethal diseases such as tuberculosis that we can't cure, dengue, malaria back in America in huge numbers. Uh, dengue is this break bone fever. Uh, so you're seeing this happen. So, uh, Steve, you know, what what is your plan to kind of stop this invasion from happening and getting worse? As 2024 well, it, happens, it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult problem. So the people who have these easy solutions, you know, it's a very difficult, difficult problem. But number one, it's Mexico, and Mexico has to de be dealt with it, it harshly, more so than it has been dealt with in the past. And I mean, getting with the leader, whoever the leader will be that day, and saying this is going to stop, and we're going to make it stop. Because we are the biggest trade partner with Mexico. They do send back lots of money from this country, but they're the ones who really have always allowed it. And I've been across the border. The second part strategy, though, is about these countries to our south that we, we focus on Palestinian problems every day in the news. I, I, I'm not trying to belate the Palestinian issue or whatever, but we need to focus on what goes on in Guatemala. We need to focus on what goes on in Colombia with their new leftist leader. We need to bring back the Monroe Doctrine that John Kerry killed, and then each president since then sort of ignored. But we need to bring that back and help their countries become much stronger democracies, and then this problem will see. That's a multi-year problem. But I've been down to Guatemala, and I've been across the border in a dangerous situation. You can read about it in Nation magazine. Years ago, I was asked to go down there across the border, and I saw the plight. And the humanitarian plight, by the way, as a Christian, of young women being raped every night at the border still haunts me. There were unaccompanied women that were getting to, ready to, step, to get going. It's hard to even speak about. But as Americans, we can stop it all. But we refuse to. It used to be Republicans and Democrats, you know, Republicans wanted cheap labor, Democrats want more voters. By the way, I always said this. I said it for years and years. What made them? What makes you think I would say in, two, in a mayor's race, but people still a Senate race, that Hispanic people would be Democrats? Seems like they go to church, love their families, work hard. Now I don't want any of them here. I don't want any of them here illegally. I, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying over time, when they assimilate here, no matter what, why wouldn't they be Republicans? Yeah, especially exactly. if they're still well, and that's why the Democrats have shut down the <laughs> wet foot, dry foot. Cubans coming over because they are all hey. fleeing communism. They realize they're fleeing communism and they want yeah. to vote for Republicans. Yeah, I I went in, in 2014, I went out to help a congressional candidate uh, who's a, who, whose family escaped Cuba in Ron Paul's district when Ron Paul wasn't running. And he had the greatest slogan. He didn't win the race, but his slogan was a man should not lose two countries in one lifetime. Wow. He escaped yeah. from yeah. Cuba. And I thought that's true. So the Cubans come over and they're they're like ready to vote Republican that day. Let's go. Right. But we have to explain to the what we have what people don't stop and explain to the American people every day is that the welfare system combined with immigration, illegal immigration, doesn't work. No. Doesn't work for anybody. Doesn't work for them, doesn't work for us. Doesn't work for the public schools. We have to teach different languages. Does it doesn't work? It hasn't worked in 30, 40 years. And it must be brought to a complete halt. But we need legal immigration and we need and we need people having more children and we need to encourage that, too. I mean, we have to encourage it. It just needs to happen. We need more people. We don't have the demographic problem that communist China has and especially Russia has. They're running out of people.
communist China, especially because they because back in the day, thirty years ago, the one child policy. One child. People yeah, exactly. people Washington people were having they always, they always miscounted the people. Now they realize they don't have a hundred million young people. They don't have them. They just particularly they women, right? They, yeah. They, yeah, they aborted you know a third of the women or mm -hmm. in a two-thirds one-third rather than 50 50 relationships so mm -hmm. we are better off because we need people to grow people yeah. help you grow i love people i love neighbors so but it, it's a multi, <laughs> right but it's a, but a multi-faceted problem that has to be dealt with from mm -hmm. the very beginning from the very top yeah and get the american people behind it but mexico was the key, key. mexico's the key to fentanyl mexico's yeah. the key to and mexico being a normal country is the key to our still having this blessed region where there's water on two sides, basically Canadians, which are most Americans on the north. I hate, I hate it when I say that, but it's pretty close. And Mexico has to be a much better run country so that we are the only real country that can't be invaded by land. That's when you have the uh, when you have the I agree, but when you have the issues with the uh, cartels, which are yes. working with China to usher in all these drugs, and you have the cartels doing political hits down in Mexico. Uh, do we? How do? How do we address? If you're president, you just won. How do we address the cartels in Mexico to help us develop that better relationship with Mexico yeah. and get them to help us on the border? We have to deal with them. They're part of our country now. People don't realize this. They're laundering money through many, many different legitimate businesses. That's how they do it. It's a listen. I, if people in America would just stop doing cocaine, it would help a lot. I hate to say it this way, but we are part of the yeah. problem. We, the our American people, and so, but but it is a it is such an endemic problem because even if we close the borders, they'll kind of keep trying. The key, it's it's a long term solution to what people want me to say, which is like we're going to go down there and beat the hell out of them. Listen, we may have to get out and beat the hell out of them in different ways. We need to bring them up on charges. There's so many of them. They have so many communities so scared. It's really, really a problem. But the manufacturing that can be done in Mexico now where we can bring all these jobs back from China, some of them will go to Mexico naturally, by the way. And, and, and it gets really to this end of globalization, which I've been for for years. Mexico is going to be one of the great beneficiaries of this. By the way, at Harvard Business School, I remember this very distinctly. It'd be this just-in-time inventory. And I'd raise my hand in production operation management. I'm like, I have no, no work experience, so I really shouldn't even raise my hand. But I got an A in the class. And I'm like, what if you really need some more stuff? Like, and you yeah. can't get it. I always was like, so inventory turns are faster. So Japan's doing this. Boop, 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 you know? Well, it's, it's oh, by the way, globalization is over. It kept inflation a little bit lower, even though it comes from money. Why don't we get a president who's in charge of like ending it, not fighting the end of it, ending it? And we're going to make stuff in America. We're going to make this talking nation stuff has to stop. The Tom Cotton talking about bringing pharmaceuticals back home in 2020 with Maria Bartomarola on TV for like six straight months. Yeah, it didn't happen. They just talk. I don't talk. Let's get if the, if the drugs have to be made in the empty facilities. They're still in Puerto Rico where they used to be made. There's one in Cody, Wyoming, 500 miles from where I'm sitting. It's empty. Let's let's do it. Let's go. We've got to get everybody out of communist China. I've been saying this since 2005 publicly. I made a movie about it. It's not something new. It's not like Marco Rubio. Marco Rubio in your state uh, three weeks ago was like, hey, China fired a warning shot across our bow. I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Where have you been? Right. The total the politicians yeah, yeah. are just like, trying to catch up to recent events, mm -hmm. even though years ago they were so far behind. That's what he does. They'll just catch up a little bit, warning shot, hope no one notices. It'll take him a couple well, of years, and he'll, he'll appear, appear to be a hawk on China. It, well, yeah. but that's a, that's Rubio. I mean, you, you got this guy who's sitting on the Senate Select in, uh, Committee on Intelligence, so he knows a lot more. And then he plays stupid. Oh, China fired a shot across yeah, our. We bow. had no idea. Uh, yeah, no idea. <laughs> what, uh, what, what do you say? What do you say? I wish it wasn't laughable, but we it live is in a laughable. World. It is. It's, it's sad, but it is laughable. But what do you say to the Republican right. Party who who want who don't want who, who are 
doing everything they can to uh, kiss the feet of their donors and are ushering in this globalism. It's like you've got the establishment wing of the party don't want America first. They don't want to see uh, jobs and manufacturing coming back. How do you address that? I, I think we have to call them out for what they are. I mean, and, and actually what really works really well are facts. So manufacturing jobs, this is why Trump won the election. I said it when he announced, people thought I was nuts. This is, go play the tapes. I said, there's a guy living in Western, all elections are on the margin. In Western Pennsylvania, the guy used to work in a ball bearing factory, maybe not an auto factory. He was making 80 grand with overtime. He was living this middle-class life. His kid was gonna go to Penn State University. He's lying there right now making 63 with two jobs. And he hears China, he's like, I'm voting for that guy. And that's how he won. And the, the reason he lost yeah. combined with the spending in 2020 was that the job didn't come back. President mm -hmm. Trump didn't follow through. He went with 10% tariffs, not on Apple computer. Anybody know why? I don't, don't know why. <laughs> so, so think about the stupidity. And by the way, think about the last trade deal with communist China that wasn't even a deal. I mean, President Trump, God bless him. I love the I love the judges. I love the federal judges. I love the Supreme Court. Thank you, thank you on a lot of good things. Are we really like a banana republic where we're gonna sell them some wheat? That was the deal, which they didn't even buy. So what are we talking about? Raise the tariffs to 25%, make them scream, go to go to Congress like you're supposed to after 25% and say, listen. They're going up a percentage point a month until we get these mm -hmm. people home. Because manufa one manufacturing job coming back to Western Pennsylvania is four jobs. It's what we call the multiplier effect. You build a factory, you need some secretaries, you gotta go outside, the guy pulls up with a, a job to deliver coffee, right? I mean, this this secular I'm gonna pause you right there for just a minute. I'm gonna pause right there just for a minute because we're running out of time for our regular show. But folks, if you're watching this right now, we still have another hour to go. And as you're finding out, Steve has a lot to offer with a lot of information, and I still have a lot of questions that we're gonna get to, plus our trader of the week. So if you're not on the locals community yet, hop on over to the locals community. You can watch this full two-hour interview. You can go on, become a member of the locals community. It's just five dollars a month and use promo code Freedom Cow. And I think uh, Steve, we have a picture of you with a with a, with, a, with a Freedom Cow as well. I saw that on your website. We throw that's that up there. Enormous heifer you got. <laughs> yeah. Right there. So you, you, yeah, there you are. <laughs> so use use promo code Freedom Cow right now. Get one month free of the Freedom Chronicles locals community and watch the rest of this interview. And uh, so we'll end with this. That's uh, Mojo. Yeah, we'll here. talk about Mojo. Yeah. So <laughs> this show right now. This show is sponsored by the Local Meat Club by Tyrone Marcella Jackson, based out of Columbus, Ohio. You can go to localmeatclub.com using the affiliate link in the description of this video. Use promo code FREEDOMCOW there as well, all caps, so that they know we sent you. Members can choose from fantastic, locally raised, hormone-free, aged Angus ground beef, ribeye steaks, just fantastic stuff. Pick up Tyrone's book, Life's Little Handbook, Seven Steps to Finding Success in Life. Join the club and experience the difference that fresh, life-supporting food makes. Use the link in the description, localmeatclub.com. You're watching Conservative Television of America, working hard to stick socialism where the sun don't shine.